Hello, and welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast, hosted by 4constructionpros.com, covering various aspects of the construction industry, including the equipment, people, companies, and associations making it all happen. In this episode, 4Construction Pros editor Larry Stewart talks with Jim Frazier, director of CRE strategy at Built Technology, who speaks on how the company's construction lending software tracked the progress of projects since many were placed on hold with the COVID-19 shutdowns, as well as how they're recovering and the risks ahead. Let's dig in with Larry and Jim now. Jim, you know, everybody is, you know, pretty focused on what's happening with COVID-19 and the impact on the construction industry. And we've been lucky, we've, you know, we've, we're considered an essential industry, um, but, uh, you know, the, their AGC research is showing pretty dramatic numbers in terms of companies reporting delays and, and cancellations of projects. What uh, I know, Built Technologies has got a got a, a pretty firm pulse uh, on on the construction industry. What are you seeing in terms of of um, slowdown in the industry, and and where's it going? Uh, well, Larry, I think you know, the, the the backstory, just so you are level set on Built Technologies, um, Built provides construction loan administration software to U.S. and Canadian construction lenders. And, and construction lenders come in all shapes and sizes, right? The big guys, Bank America, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, all the way down to little small mortgage bankers and brokers who originate home renovation finance. Um, our total portfolio of construction loans in the U.S. and Canada is right now about $20 billion. And that's nominally around 29,000 construction loans. So each construction loan, right, and they all, again, in all shapes and sizes, has associated with it a construction budget. And that construction budget has line items. And those line items are really the core to the general contracting world because our lender, through the contractor's you know, counterparty, the owner, is requesting funds from the lender to pay the sub and supplier and the GC, right? All of that flow of money is actually passing through built software between banks, owners, and general contractors. Oh, um, and so that's the ecosystem that we sit in. Um, and I'd say just to sort of get to the quick and dirty about the COVID impact, you know, March 15th was really kind of the, the beginning of the process as we saw it. Um, we saw that mostly in the, in the president's initial declaration of a national emergency, which was followed on quickly by the CARES Act, right, which was, which was created for a number of reasons, a stimulus of the economy, but also some very specific rules and permissions, frankly, for banks to accommodate and soften up bank positions so that they would continue to fund and manage aggressively construction finance in the marketplace. Um, you know, as, as your audience probably knows, right, a delay in construction that's financed is, a, is also a delay in a construction loan. And a construction loan that's delayed could be considered a problem loan, mm -hmm. right? So part of the CARES Act was to sort of relax the standards that are typically applied to those. All that said, um, so at the outset of the 29,000 construction loans, we had and have about 15% 
were identified as projects in a halt zone or, or a, a state, a county, a city, where because of pandemic concerns, the municipalities, the governing bodies, restricted access to a project, right? That, that happened really quickly at the beginning of April. Wow, 15%. Um, yeah. Now, that was, and, and we've been measuring it every month for our clients, the construction lenders, because they have to document which properties are affected by the halts the same way the AGC is, is monitoring it for the, the members of the AGC. Um, our last reading, that was down to about 2,100 loans. And the few states that remain, like Louisiana and Washington, still have some restrictions going on. But it's, it's I would say the tide is going out on the restrictions pretty quickly. So I think by the end of, of June here, you know, the, the government controls on access, I think, will have been relaxed, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. And hoping and hoping that we don't see spikes or hotspots as 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 described by health officials. Yeah, yeah, but it sounds like your system would be able to measure that, even if we did. Well, there's a couple of things, right? There's there's the there's the governmental controls, but there's the other impacts that are also driving delays, right? Yeah. So one of the delay issues that I know your your audience is probably up against, depending on the type of project they're working on is material supplies with long lead times that might be coming out of affected countries who've had other kinds of shutdowns, right? Italy for granite and, and, and maybe tile, right? The Southeast Asia markets for exterior materials or structural steel, right? Well, who knows, right? All of those things are also adding into the delays that I think are affecting the construction industry generally. And it's not just the, the, the shutdowns for public health reasons. Sure, and there's the, the there's the personnel supply issues as well. I mean, yeah, yeah, impacts to, yeah, impacts labor. And I, I guess the other thing that we would we would say, and we see in our data, is that markets are varying, right? Uh, Des Moines and 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 uh, Nashville, where I am, completely different than than New York and Boston, right? Just and, and that's that's obvious for a number of reasons, right? The density, the conditions. Uh, and the obviously impacts of the of the disease as they roll through those markets. The other thing that we're seeing, just to sort of add to that, is use types. So projects that are hospitality or retail related are really in in sort of a, a, a I won't call them a death spiral, but they're in deep trouble. Um, the impacts in the economic world for travel related activity is going to make those projects perform worse over the coming quarters from a lender standpoint. Even though they make complete construction and pay out on their contract, those are going to be difficult properties for lenders and owners to manage just because of what's going on in the general economy. Seems to us though, and, and you've, if you looked at our business, the housing market, both the production housing business as well as the owner-occupied sort of custom construction rehab business, is is actually doing fairly well, um, surprisingly well. And there's other stats I can share with you on that if you want. Yeah, what, what are those? I'd be interested in hearing about that. So, for example, um, we expected and had forecast a pretty steep decline in in new loan activation on our system. So, you know, 
owner applies for a loan to build a house, lender makes commitment, closes the loan. Now that loan and its construction budget for the next 12 to 18 months becomes active on our system. We thought those would drop off pretty significantly April to May, and in fact, they didn't. They were only down like 4% month over month. So that's telling us that, that the lenders are still active, that owners are still seeking construction financing for residential properties, either for sale or for occupancy. Um, and and those, are, those for our large client base are still activating on our system. What drives that in part, I think, is, is related to what the cost of money is, right? The Fed has been very aggressive at lowering interest rates, and those lower interest rates are creating affordability where there might not have been affordability in, in, in prior periods. And that's buffering against the, the, the mass amount of, of uh, unemployment that's, that's sort of rolling through the system right now. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, that's uh, that's really encouraging news. I mean, obviously, you know, construction so uh, tied in term just in terms of, of you know the downstream effects of, of housing market, and you know that uh, there's still a lot of work going on out there. It's pretty encouraging. Yeah, yeah. So, what does does your data um, uh, give a sense for? You know what the status of uh, many of these loans are. I mean, have 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 uh, have loans um, become more difficult, or have have loans um, uh, uh, been uh, been canceled as a result of cancellation of work? Our, our construction lenders that are active in commercial construction, let's say, right? So think of office buildings, multifamily construction, hospitality, uh, industrial properties. Uh, land A and D, right? Those projects that that are in that in those buckets of use types are are varying based on condition, right? So no one, no lender I know today is really actively seeking and writing new construction commitments for a for a hotel. They really aren't, right? Um, until that market stabilizes and we understand what the travel the go forward travel profile looks like. Same with retail, right? <laughs> Like, like Third Street Promenade, as you probably saw this the other night, right? Th- th- those are those are rehab jobs that are going to come along. But there's also not a lot of new retail being built because of the disruption just in the retail market through through online activity. So y- y- you know, it's you can't you can't draw absolute conclusions based on just raw data. You have to sort of throw the nuance of what are the economic conditions going on in those use types. I don't know if that answers your your general question, but you, you throw market conditions, you throw use type conditions, and I would say generally lenders, construction lenders, oh, construction is a, and this is, a, is a, it's an interesting point for your audience probably, construction loans are a valuable, construct, a valuable financial asset for a bank. And the reason banks like to make construction loans is the duration of the loan is generally matched to the duration of the deposits they generate. A 30-year mortgage is not something a, a lender wants to make and hold because it has interest rate risk in it, and that's why it's sold to Fannie and to Freddie. Mm. A 12, 18, 24-month construction loan is perfect. The deposit comes in for a year or two, and it matches that construction loan duration for a year or two. So I'm paying a certain amount on interest for my deposits, and I'm paying. I'm generating higher income off of the off of the construction loan. That's a, a, almost a perfect match, if you will, for spread income in a bank environment. 
Now, that, 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 that said, right, construction for a lender has perceived a lot of amount of risk in it, right? And the risk is, or say, is related to a hypothetical piece of collateral. I'm making a loan today on a to-be-built structure. And so from a lending standpoint, the risk is, can it happen? Will the owner follow through? Do the general, the subs, suppliers all have the required experience and capability to, to execute the, the project and deliver the collateral building on time, on budget, without liens, right? With the permit signed off and, and you know, everything completed. And that's really underneath it all what the construction lenders use our system for is managing those risks. I see, I see. And do you get a sense that, that, um, that any, uh, any significant portion of projects is at risk based on those, those risks uh, that the lender is shouldering? Obviously, we've got a, got a very difficult economic situation. Got, you know, use cases like, uh, like travel and, and hospitality and, uh, and that sort of thing that, you know, they're... Yeah, they, they're they haven't, they're, those risks are out there, right? Force majeure is out there, right? Uh, the inability of, 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 of contractors to access property because of government shutdowns creates stress in the contractual relationship between an owner and a contractor, which generates a different kind of stress between the owner and the, and the bank, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think, like I mentioned earlier, right, the, the availability of materials um, and, and the supply chain and the availability of labor like you discussed, right? So all those things will layer risks on, on these transactions and ultimately some will break. And when, the, when a construction loan breaks, it's an abandonment, it's a inability to complete, it's a, a maturity default, it's a progress default, it's unpaid subs and suppliers, which are liens on the property. And if the borrower owner doesn't cure those liens, um, th then the property is going to go into foreclosure, right? And a foreclosed on construction loan for most banks is probably the most difficult asset for them to work out because it's half built. And the, and the, and the ability to value a half built building in a, in a distressed market is very difficult. And it's very difficult to liquidate without a big loss. So that's why construction lenders typically are very conservative in their approach. And that conservatism sometimes creates its own defaults because they're holding back cash flow and they're holding back disbursements. And built technologies is essentially partly designed to speed up the flow of money between the lender, the owner, the contractor, and subs. Because in my 30-year experience of doing almost $100 billion of construction across all different types of loan types, nothing can destroy a project faster than not getting sufficient money into the hands of the actual builders that are doing the job every day on site. And so, so we're, we're partly... Uh, we're, we're a lubricant, if you will, right, to help that process speed up. Um, and we're doing all sorts of things engineering-wise to digitize that process, whether it's inspections, lien releases, title date downs, um, movement of funds across the, the, the banking system is all part of our DNA to help that process crank up. 
I see. I see. But it sounds like uh, thus far, banks are, are, are in this for the long term. You haven't seen a lot of a spike or any increase in, in defaults or, or not yet. Or any of those not, not, not yet. I think, I think if you read kind of the financial press, um, I think the, the market that seems to be the most stressed right now is the commercial mortgage backed security, the CMBS market. Um, a, a large, uh, owner operator in that space a public company called colony capital based in los angeles mm. uh, i think recently was uh, uh in default or about to default on a large portfolio of cmbs assets most of which were hotels right so no one's going to a hotel no one's putting a head on a bed therefore no cash flow if you're not making cash flow mortgages aren't getting paid and that's a stabilized property a completed building right we don't see that yet in the construction space on completing properties. And those that are in construction now that won't be delivered until mid next year may be perfectly timed relative to sort of the reemergence of a stabilized economy. So there is some hope yet that this, this duration of COVID impacts and, and economic impacts is contained to a short window. You know, let's try and keep it under a couple quarters and the damage will be light. If it stretches and goes longer, then I think the financial press and you read some of the output from the FDIC, the Fed, you know, things could get pretty choppy in the second half of, of 2021. Okay. All right. So, so that's that the time frame we would be looking at it as far out as, oh, as yeah. mid, middle of 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So is this a... Is this a good time to be in the business that Built Technologies is in? So, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting time. Uh, good is, is good is in the eye of the beholder. I would say uh, uh, here's an interesting kind of tidbit along that that line. So, so our system essentially is a SaaS application, right? Services software. It sits between the the origination system of a bank and the core accounting system of the bank. And it does a very special set of tasks that are directed towards the owner, the contractor, the inspector, and the lender, right? It's, it's a synchronization application so that, 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 like I described, funds can flow quickly. Um, but because it's, it's online and it's cloud-based, the, the bank operators, the loan administrators who manage the construction disbursements, were able to walk out the door with their laptop and go home and continue to work from home without interruption for all of our 120 clients. Um, and, and, and what was interesting is the clients that were on the, on the sort of loading process, those that were be, being implemented, accelerated quickly because they needed to have remote capability to manage their book. Um, and, and, and there's some interesting dynamics that you see now in the rest of the financial space that is, that is related to construction. And that is they had a two or three year digitization plan at, at the bank or the, or the lender. And they're now accelerating that digitization plan into the next six months. Okay. So I think the entire financial technology or fintech space, as well as the property technology, prop tech space, all of those systems and tools that help the members of this ecosystem execute their activities faster and digitally and remotely are lifting together. And, and so in some ways, you know, it, it is a little bit of a perfect storm, but it is helping 
bring system and solutions, digital solutions and speed solutions and remote working solutions to the uh, to the members of the, of the process. Yeah, that's kind of what we're hearing about in the construction industry, the, the contractor side too, uh, is that the, you know, those that, that have a that that have a commitment to, to being able to digitally perform uh, whatever they can uh, are are making investments there. I don't know if you I don't know if you get have a chance to even see that. In, in well, we do. So so we have uh, we have eighty six thousand building contractors, general contractors, subs, suppliers in our system touching you know our our loans, okay. um, and they're interacting. So they when they request funds to be paid, they actually log into Built Technologies and submit their draw request. Oh, okay. And when they do that, we're accepting all sorts of digital information from them. Their AIA 702, 703 information, whatever other invoicing and other documentation the lender needs to execute that payment, they're doing that online. And it's immediately in front of a lender today to try and accelerate that decision. Um, our, we, as I mentioned to you, right? We, we we acquired a lien waiver technology platform that touches forty six thousand contractors, separate from the eighty six. So we got one hundred and thirty, one hundred thirty five thousand contractors that we're interacting with on one type of built application or another. The lien waiver business is similar to the draw system in that it digitally um, delivers a lien release and lien waiver state by state. And in exchange for that waiver, releases payment on an ACH or wire basis immediately to the to the to the general contractor, sub, or supplier. Uh, Do you see any change in the relationship between lenders and contractors in this time? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's good news and bad news, right? I think the good the good news is, um, as I mentioned, right, lenders have been given in, in a really unique way the tolerance to not um, to not uh, negatively migrate loans to what would be non-performing status. If because of COVID, contractors can't access sites or city inspectors can't come out and sign off on permits or materials not being provided on time as expected because of other things, right? Lenders in communication with borrowers and contractors are accepting extensions to maturity, you know, waivers and deferrals of interest and accommodating contractors and borrowers that are uh, that are communicating what's going on in their sites. That communication requires documentation, requires inspections, requires it, it requires the lender to be very um, transparent with their counterparty and with their regulator, right? Banks are heavily regulated and they cannot misstep. It's it's significant issues for banks to misstep in a regulated environment. So that, that used to be sensitive to where their head's at. And I think the contractors and owners that are helping bankers understand what's going on in their project, that's that, that synergy, that connection is doing well. I think where there's stress or strain, where there's bad actors, whether it's an owner, it's, it could be a banker, it could be an inspector, it could be a contractor or a sub or supplier, right? If any of those links in that chain start to, to fray and get fragile and snap, the whole chain's at risk. Um, and I think that that really comes down to, you know, 
who you work with. And I think like any business, whether it's the general contracting and subcontracting business or the lending and, and, and banking relationship with owners and, and borrowers, if you know somebody and you're comfortable and you have a work history with them, right, you can depend on them. It's, it's when it gets too frothy and too overextended where new entrants come in that don't have good histories and don't have a good work performance, things things get a little askew. And and, and like any environment, whether it's a it's a positive economic environment like we've had for the last eight years, or a stress environment like we had in 08 and 09, or what we're having today, right? Stress brings out the good and the bad in people. It really does, right? Um, and we're seeing that as, as, as you see certain loans not perform versus some loans that do, even, right. in, even in the COVID environment. Yeah, yeah. Well, are there, um, are there some, some more common sources of that, the frothiness, the, the, uh, the, the issues that, uh, that, that you see, I mean, in the market? Well, you know, it's, it's, it, it goes back to, it goes actually capital drives some of that frothiness, right? In, in 06 and 07, the capital was low, low credit standards for residential occupancy and residential construction and residential lending. And we paid the price in 08, 09, and 10. I think over the last couple of years, commercial access to capital and commercial non-bank lenders, what they call the ghost banking system, the non-banks that are out generating capital available for builders to build and owners to, to, to go and, and, and speculate on, on commercial real estate has probably gotten a little ahead of itself. And that had been a subject of conversation in the economy in the, in the, in the banking space for a couple of years is, are we in the eighth inning, right? Are we, are we pushing it too far? And I think the answer is probably, well, obviously it's going to be yes in certain markets. New York's been suffering for a while, right? Properties aren't leasing, properties aren't selling, and it's been that way before COVID. And I think you're going to see that in other markets as well, where they just got over overbuilt. Um, and, and the market's the great equalizer, right? It brings it all back to, to sort of a, a, a level. And, um, and I think that that's where we are today. Yeah, and the forecast that I saw just just after the the um, pandemic uh, got off the ground really, you know, didn't look great for uh, a lot of commercial real estate, uh, especially office, and you know, retail is just out of the out of the ballpark right now. Uh, yeah, well, one of the things that we're picking up, and this might be of interest to your your audience, is a change in the configurations of most floor plans related to kind of post COVID. And, and you sort of made me think about it when you said office, right? So office configurations. So TI work is going to pick up related to office configuration for social distancing space configurations for health, um, multifamily and even single family new construction will have a probably, a, you know, the, there was a, a drive towards these micro units in many dense urban areas, LA and San Francisco and New York, where there were, you know, 600 square foot micro units were kind of the, the thing in the building space um, and the development space. And I think that's going to revert quickly to an extra bedroom for an in, in-unit office because people are going to be working remotely much more in the future than they have been. And that'll drive probably square footage conditions of a typical unit design up. So instead of the 
miniaturization that's going to go the other way. Uh, and we're actually seeing some of that already in inbound pipeline of plans and specs that are coming across uh, from our lenders. Um, have you seen any, uh, any increase in uh, office share uh, loans for, for building office share space? So I haven't, we haven't, I haven't, um, but I would expect that's on the drawing board. I, 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 my suspicion is there may even be some repurposing of office buildings to other use types, right? And, yeah. and um, obviously that, that actually had started, as you probably are aware, um, in the mall space. So many of the U.S. defunct malls were being repurposed into healthcare and health-related facilities um, because there's big, large space that could be reconfigured for different kind of health uses. Um, and, and I think you will see all sorts of different uh, repurposing of the built environment. And obviously to the, to the general contractors, subs, and suppliers that are in that ecosystem, right? For a construction lender that's doing a large renovation of a, of a significant structure, mall building or, or mid-rise or high-rise, right? Depending on the type of construction, that can get pretty, those are pretty big contracts. Those are pretty big jobs. Um, and depending on the new use versus the old use, right? Fire life safety comes in, all sorts of different parameters are being designed in that building. Um, and I think we'll, we'll see a significant amount of that over the next few years. All right. Well, it's a real interesting discussion, Jim. I appreciate it. I think it, you know, interesting sort of top of the of mind points that, that uh, came to me, you know, a big drop, 15% uh, um, uh, number for the amounts of, of uh, uh, construction halt. construction loans. I'm trying to think of the word. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah there we go. A big 50 percent drop in in, uh, in construction uh, loan status right off the bat, but 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 a fairly quick recovery. That's very encouraging. Also, I think it's an interesting point that you know we might not see any kind of serious you know default or or uh, non-performance kind of change in in these loans until middle of next year. That you know. Yeah. I, I, uh, yes. I, I think those are the two big takeaways. I think, you know, um, we, we've got to get everybody back to work uh, fairly quickly because a, a lingering significant unemployment rate will will affect the 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 depth and the and the the time it takes for this this recovery. So, um, you know, happy to follow up and give you updates if you're interested along the line. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And uh, and we'll be monitoring it obviously very carefully with with all of our lenders. Thanks so much for your time, Jim. I really appreciate it. Okay, Larry. Take care. All right. Uh well, that's it for today. Thank you to Jim Frazier of Built Technology for taking the time to talk with us. Tune in every Monday for another episode of the Digging Deeper podcast by 4constructionpros.com. Make sure to subscribe and share. You keep listening, we'll keep digging. Until next time. <laughs>